Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. Today's guest is someone that might surprise you. And I'd say that 10 years ago, it would have surprised me too that I reached out to her. Um, Her name is Sally Bergeson, and she's the founder of women's athletic wear brand, Wazelle. That is spelled O-I-S-E-L-L-E. Many of you have seen it. Some of you have wondered how it was pronounced. (laughs) Turns out Sally is a naming expert in her former life, and the more a name stands out, the more people will remember it. I am not a naming expert, which is why so many people call my company Sports Skirts. But uh, that's another story. So over the years, I have watched what Sally has done with her brand. And I started to feel a kinship to her along the way because she is relentless in her quest to do the right thing. Even if it makes her look or seem a little wild or a little rash sometimes, Her underlying mission is to help women, and she does it every single day through her work with Wazelle. Why would I want to help promote a woman who makes clothing that theoretically competes with skirt sports? Well, why wouldn't I, is the question I now ask myself. You know, if you fall in love with Wazelle or skirt or any other brand that helps you get out the door and make your life happier, then I am thrilled for you. Okay, side note, for all the work we do in this world of online business, I will admit that Sally and I had a few technical challenges with our connections, so don't worry if there are a few extra long pauses. We did not get disconnected. I will also admit when there are long pauses, I like my natural inclination is to talk more. (laughs) And so I'm sorry that I occasionally kept talking even when Sally was possibly trying to chime in. So don't be too annoyed with some of the craziness there. But, you know, in the end, the interview was not technically perfect. But, hey, that's life. It is not perfect. And sometimes we talk when we should shut up. So please give us a little grace on that front. So when I confirmed that Sally wanted to come on the show, I thought about what I would like to learn about her. I've listened to countless interviews with Sally, most of which focus on the things she does. But few of those interviews focus on how she became the person she is today. Strong, resolved, with this very clear and like unflappable opinion of right and wrong. Um, She's willing to put herself on the line to defend that opinion. She's incredibly driven to connect and create community. She's a very deep thinker who isn't afraid to take on a challenge. So we dig into the foundation and we build from there. I'm really happy to call Sally a friend. You know, for a while, 
In the beginning, I thought of her as a threat. She started her company a few years after mine. And later, I thought of her as a competitor. And now, I consider her a peer. Our missions are not exactly the same, but the drive behind them is very aligned. We both want to help women find happiness through the transformative power of sport. With that, it's time to hear from Sally. So uh, this is great. We nailed it. Yeah, we did it. We finally were connected. <laughs> we're literally yeah, I connected. I yes, yes. Okay, so Sally, we're diving right in. Because yes. you're running, going to run about 10% late to your next uh, meeting, I think. So <laughs> I think like what this people... What what's funny is what people don't know is that we just tried to do an interview and through a different service and we had a whole conversation about how organized you are. Do you want to fill them in on that? We missed that part. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's believable. I think people will just call bullshit on me too quickly. So I'll just confess that I'm 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 a I'm one of those people that can tend to run five to 10 minutes late and, and then try to really like work hard to correct myself and not do that anymore. And then I slide back into old habits. So I'm, uh, I'm on a path of, uh, of, um, self-improvement that is incomplete. I hear you. It's funny. We have this meeting that was supposed to start at 10 every Tuesday and I was always showing up at like 10 8. And then everyone else was showing up at 10.08. And our president, who's like really on time all the time, was like, okay, everyone, do we just need to change the time of the meeting to 10.15? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so right, we said right. yes. Now the risk is that you start showing yeah. up at 10.23. But we're so far so good. We just yeah. needed to know that it needs to be in our heads 10 o'clock, but it's really at 10.15. Right, right. It's like it's that grace period. Well, I mean, it's funny too because if you know a group run is going to leave right promptly, you know, somehow I managed to be on time there. <gasps> oh my gosh, your priorities. Oh, this is good. <laughs> well, let's uh, you know, I kind of wanted to start by asking you if you were surprised that I invited you on the show seeing that we both own women's athletic apparel brands and lead communities of women that some people may say are competitive. And why would you want to have like a competitor, you know, get in front of your community and audience? So I was just curious what you thought. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised that you reached out and, you know, we've known each other a long time, but it's almost more like we've known of each other. And, you know, we, we've met in person and I think we were both kind of remarking on how, you know, sadly, the industry doesn't have a lot of collegiality to it. And, uh, you know, it could be a lot of reasons. But I think that was certainly my hope when I got into the category or to the industry that there would be more, you know, of the spirit of sport, which I think at its best is that you you compete hard and you, you line up um uh, to to win or to to do as best as you can, but that you know after the race is over, you recognize that you know uh, life is life, and and we all uh, share a lot of um, similar challenges and can learn from each other. Well, hopefully, we're going to learn from each other today. 
I like it. Let's do it. I know. Well, okay. So there's a ton of things that I want to ask you about. I've created my little question list and, and I have all kinds of different categories, but I was thinking about like, in my mind, I created what I would call like the buckets of your life are, but I don't know if those are really what you consider to be your buckets. Like I imagine that I have all these buckets and sometimes there's like a drip in one of them and, and another one's totally overflowing. And You know, I put myself into all kinds of different categories of how I identify myself or the things I do. So maybe you can share with us what your buckets are. Make sure I'm on track. For sure. For sure. Oh, gosh. Well, maybe there's like big buckets and then like mini buckets inside those. (laughs) Um, I mean, I mean, I generally maybe this is this is like not, you know, um, earth shattering because people probably, you know, divide their lives like this, you know, frequently, but I, I am, my buckets are three, it's work, uh, it's, it's family and it's sport. So, uh, those, those three are, are plenty and more than enough. And so I'm not like seeking, seeking, um, another bucket, (laughs) uh, but rather like, how to make each of those uh, as good as they can be. And you're right, it is a balance of, um, you know, the levels in them. And uh, I've certainly been in places in my life where, um, you know, one has been um, uh, too empty and, and needed tending to. Let's, uh, and I totally understand that. I mean, that's for sure. That's just like prioritizing, right? Which is what I think we talked about at the very beginning. (laughs) In fact, I think your priority right before getting on the podcast was to have a coffee and you did not list that in your buckets. (laughs) Yes, I do have a, I have a, I do have a giant bucket just full of coffee. I will, uh, uh, that's a good that's a good um thing for you to point out absolutely all the other buckets are basically fueled by the giant bucket of coffee i completely relate to that i knew i liked you um (laughs) well let's uh let's actually start with the second one you talked about which is your family because um you know, a lot of things, you can Google Sally Bergeson and hear all kinds of interviews and see all the crazy stuff that you say out in the press and the cool things you're doing and the women you support. But I don't see a lot or haven't heard a lot about what formed you, like how you grew mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. what, how your right. parents helped instill the values that you have today and and how you're passing those around. So let's, let's start back in the day. You grew up, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Berkeley, California, which I like to joke is a little bit like being raised by, it's not so much a pack of wolves as it was like wolves at the circus out in a grass field with no fences. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah, I no, I grew up in Berkeley, California, which, uh, you know, when wherever we, you know, as a as a kid growing up, right, you never really have any context for whether where you are is, um, you know, how that compares to, you know, other people's experiences. And, and I think one of the things that became clear to me after I left Berkeley was that I realized how unusual my uh, childhood was and I you know I think everybody has you know the kind of can ha- you know has the the weird things or the odd things that they later recognize were 
were were kind of uh, um, maybe not shared by other people. But I I had just such a such a different uh, upbringing in the sense of just Berkeley, California being the place that it is kind of this hotbed of liberalism so that, you know, throughout the 70s, it was kind of ground zero for much of the cultural change that was going on in the country. And really, my parents were kind of part of that. My dad was a civil rights lawyer uh, after he um, got his law degree from Yale Law School. He got in basically got married and he and my mom moved to Jackson, Mississippi, where he did civil rights work for a number of years and really formed kind of the early part of his professional career. And then later they moved to Berkeley. So my brother was born in Jackson, Mississippi, and then they moved to Berkeley, California, where I was born. And then there, my dad did a lot of, um, continued kind of his civil rights work. He did prisoners' rights work. He worked for the state public defender's office in San Francisco. And um, my parents divorced when I was four. And so they both lived in Berkeley. But um, I had this, you know, separated parents thing, which was also kind of created its own um, chaos. I mean, I give my dad a lot of credit for this period of my life because he really, he was the sole, not um, sole parent because my mom was around, but he was, he had custody of my brother and I. So he worked in San Francisco in the day and then we had babysitters and whatnot. But Berkeley being Berkeley, it was a lot of just like, just a lot of freedom as a kid. And, you know, I mean, I look back on it now and I, it almost makes me wish that kids today had some of that freedom because, you know, it was just sort of free range childhood where we were always in and out of each other's houses. We were in and out of each other's yards. We were barefoot most of the time. There wasn't really any like hard set curfews. There was a lot of spending the night over at people's houses. They're just kind of a much, much more free form. And I think in the context of that, I really did develop a strong, um, I guess I got my kind of, um, people's rights, um, human rights, the desire to kind of help people um, find their voice and create change in a community from my dad. But then I also just got a a lot of fierce independence and um, bootstrapping um, spirit from just all all of that freedom um, from just growing up in Berkeley. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of it being called the Berkeley bubble, much like the Boulder has a Boulder bubble. You know, it's it's a place right. that it's just not like the rest of the world. But I mean, anywhere can and right. you, you can say that about anywhere, but I think it's elevated a bit. And but two things really stand out to me about the story you just told. And it sounds to me like you also may have developed this like kind of righteous sense for what's right and what's wrong you know, early on, just from watching your dad and seeing the kind of work he did. Would you say that's true? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I idolized my dad and, you know, he was a little bit of an Atticus Finch for me. You know, he was, uh, he was, you know, he had all of the degrees and the background, um, to have gone into your classic, like corporate law job where you make a ton of money and you um and you have a lot of power and i always saw that he took a slightly different path and he used kind of all of that in a different way which was 
you know, um, you know, looking at many of the injustices in the world and really seeing if he could potentially play us, you know, a, a bit part in, in changing some of that. And, you know, and I remember, you know, he taught law at Stanford for a while. And I just remember being a kid, you know, a 12 year old with her roller skates. And I used to roller skate around campus there and I would go. And then when I was tired, I would sit in the back of his classroom and kind of like lie down and sleep. And he would joke with his students about his, you know, daughter that was kind of a little bit feral. (laughs) Um, But I, I, you know, I was too, like, I just had this like wild mane of hair and like, you know, just like all of, and I was very much a tomboy. Like you know, grew up wearing overalls and you know, so all that. So anyway, um, I just I, I appreciated that about his like life outlook and and um, you know, I, I but I, I hasten to add though, I think there were a lot of freedoms and there was you know you know fewer um, rules and all of that. And I think for kids that can cut both ways. I think you know kids do need they you know they really do do well with with guidelines and with some structure and all of that. So, you know, certainly I had a early period in my life in college where I think I was just a little bit unmoored. And I think that part of that like unmooring actually was a direct result from not having necessarily enough rules. Mm. Oh, that's, that's important because, you know, you're now in the world heavily into the world of sport where people are setting goals and Goals mean training plans and training plans give us structure and confidence and all those things. So I can see how, how you needed that and you come full circle to it. But I have one other thing I was thinking about. Um, you mentioned that your dad had custody and especially, you know, we're roughly the same age. So this would be in the like early to mid seventies. That seems unusual, you know, was, tell me more about that. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, when my parents divorced, he was, so my dad is 12 years the senior of my mom, so he was just, quite frankly, the adult in the relationship, and so if he was more prepared, more ready, more, you know, mature, more able financially, emotionally to um, take care of my brother and I, and so that's just, that's just how that, so, you know, unusual, yes, logical, also, yes, you know, I think, you know, we had this, our culture and society has changed a lot in terms of making um, parental roles more fluid and, you know, men feeling more comfortable to kind of be primary parents and, you know, but it, yeah, it was pretty unusual at the time, but, you know, hallelujah that we live in a world now where at least we're starting to get less hung up on, you know, mother means this father means this and that those roles cannot, um, you know, uh, be more fluid and, and, and change. That's true. Well, and you mentioned, you know, you can look back on your childhood and see things that maybe you didn't think were important or that shaped you then, but now you can look back and you know, they did. Is there, are there any events that happened through your younger years and even maybe into college that you would call fairly formative events? Um, types of events that formed me or well, I might yeah. not have understood the question. Maybe that sort of sh- later <laughs> shaped who you are today or the decisions you made for the things that you do now. Right, right. Well, I mean, 
running. I mean, I, I, my dad actually got the running bug in the seventies with the whole jogging boom. So when he, I mentioned that he was a lawyer in San Francisco and his, uh, he and his friends at work used to run from the law office that they worked at to the Marina in San Francisco. And anybody that lives in the San Francisco area knows that the Marina is like one of the best places to run in the city. And, uh, so he encouraged me to run a little bit, but I really found it for, for myself. Um, I ran a little bit in high school and was good at it. Um, but I would, I would say that I didn't really truly get bit by the bug until the end of college and kind of all of that floundering around that I did in college, you know, just sort of like not knowing what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And I was really good at communicating and I was an English major, but that still didn't mean I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So, you know, by the end of college, I, I just, I found running, it was so like, I was intimidated to even go like get fit for running shoes. So I remember I went in and just bought some running shoes, literally like off, I'd like, no, I don't even want to be fit in them, just buy them. And, um, and, and I really did make that transition from being absolutely like sedentary and, you know, even overweight for myself at the time, just for what I would have been at, at my healthiest, um, and into being an athlete and, uh, that, that, that was huge for me. Shape. I mean, obviously, here I am, like professionally and personally, it changed my life. That's, I mean, it's such a great story because we find these, our next great chapters through usually a different passion that evolves. And so when you, when right. you found running, I mean, was it like you kind of saw you, your dad, that was sort of in your muscle memory of your brain, you know, my dad ran and I played around with it. Were you like depressed or was something going on where you were like, hey, I got to go do something different? Yeah, I mean, I think in general I was pretty unhappy and I was kind of getting bored with just not giving myself enough, you know, goals in life. Uh, definitely my, the you know, the memory of having been good at running my senior year in high school was in my brain. My dad was in my brain. And then I actually met my husband my now husband when I went over to France my junior year in college. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be being honest if I didn't say that he, he had a huge influence on me because he was already an athlete at the time and he was running over in France, but cycling was his main focus. And so he was kind of running because he didn't have a bike at the time because we were over in Europe. But I think bigger than just what he was doing, what I kind of found in like, just, you know, our early relationship was, I was just kind of blown away with the fact that he was living a different lifestyle. Like he was the first person that I met where I was like, huh, you're like, not only are you just like, you know, cause I thought of people as being active as like, oh yeah, okay. They set aside that half hour in their day where they exercise, but it's so much bigger than that. We learn, right? Like it's the time that you spend exercising, but then it's like that out of that radiates all these concentric circles of how you start actually changing your life to be different because of that hour, half hour. And so I saw him leading the athlete lifestyle when even the concept of what that was was completely foreign to me at the time. And that is yet also another thing that happened through running is that you found the most major relationship in your life. So you were drawn to him I'm not sure why he was drawn to you. So maybe you want to talk about that a little bit. 
what made this a match. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, we laugh about that because, you know, he was good for me, but then I was like, here I was like, being the artsy English major, you know, I was smoking at the time, drinking plenty of French wine, all that. I mean, I was just like, kind of being like the classic, um, you know, um, I don't know what I just like, you know, was into reading books and sitting in a cafe in France and smoking a cigarette and having, you know, like a glass of wine and stuff. And it's just like, that was to me was the idea of this like romanticized notion of following your intellectual pursuits. And, and, and so, so yeah, this was a radical new, you know, difference for me and why he liked me. I mean, I don't know. I just, you know, I think <laughs> He he also like for him he's kind of this squeaky clean like I mean he was an Eagle Scout like he had like an athlete etc so I don't know we could we could delve into the psychology of it maybe he was also looking for somebody who was taking risks you know like was doing things that were maybe looked a little bit dangerous um, and you know, interesting things that he hadn't done himself. So, you know, they say opposites attract. I'll have to say that's, you know, I think there's something to that. Um, I definitely concur. Tim and I are very different and (laughs) somehow we stay together. It's amazing. But uh, I think that's a really cool story. And also shows me you've got like you guys have been together for a really long time. So you've really grown together because when he met you, you weren't even really a runner yet. You were a literary smoker type. <laughs> I love that. I know. I know. It, was, it was bizarre. I, you know, and it, the funny thing was I knew I was good at running because I had had that little taste of it in high school. And so literally after I moved to Seattle and I like to say, so Alec grew up here and he kind of wooed me up. But, um, people asked me why I gave up California for Seattle. And I just say it was love. I came up, came up for love, but I, there was a point where I was like literally weighing running and smoking. And I just was like, huh, I really like both. I wonder which, you know, it's kind of funny to think about the conversation I was having. And then I was, you know, I was just like, okay, well, obviously, you know, you need to, to uh, clean up your act and, 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 and do this thing that, you know, you love and is physically and emotionally and spiritually good for you. So, so I, I I made the right choice. (laughs) Right. Because I would definitely agree that smoking is not physically and spiritually and emotionally good for you. So there you go. You made the right choice. I love it. Um, if you go ahead, if you've been considering taking up smoking, I can, I can, I can let you know that you, you really shouldn't. (laughs) Call Sally. Just in case that, and just in case that you were thinking about it. <laughs> Most of our listeners <laughs> might not be, but some can of them. Can I say one? Yeah, bring it. <laughs> one thing on smoking, though, is that, you know, people are like, oh, my God, that's so gross. Like, I can't, I can't imagine. I still, to this day, like, it's usually, and it's Thanksgiving's next, next week, so this is a good time to talk about it. It's usually still after a really good meal where I've had, like, you know, really nice appetizers, um, good food, good company. Um, you know, it's the social situation. You've had a really yummy dessert and you're having that cup of coffee or decaf coffee. I still like yearn for a cigarette in that moment. Like I think there's just something about having a cigarette after all of those really good things in a social setting that sounds really wonderful to me. 
You know, I can relate to that. Um, not in smoking, but with alcohol because I stopped drinking 10 years ago because of all kinds of issues I had and it wasn't healthy for me. And better believe that there are moments when I look around and everybody's laughing and smiling and they're holding like this glass of wine or this beautiful pint of craft beer, which I never really got to enjoy because that whole industry took off after I stopped. And yeah, there's definitely, you know, you have to kind of like fight those little negative or those, those, uh, both those tugs and pulls. It's just, that's what life right, is, right? right? We're trying to stay on the path yep. that makes us in the end feel best, feel most fulfilled right. and, and know that we're not looking back with regrets, you know, it's really right. crazy. Right. I, I have to ask you, there well, was one interview that you did where you said that running saved your life. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you remember that or that comment, but it really intrigued me mm-hmm. because I didn't really hear how. And I thought maybe you could mm-hmm. share that. Yeah. Well, I think it was, you know, just what I was mentioning about kind of being on a more self-destructive path or lifestyle, you know, in college, you know, drinking, drugs, uh, you know, I've definitely, you know, I'm, I'm okay saying that I've experimented with different um drugs. I mean, I mean, my mom, I mean, I've also said this before. She was like, she grew marijuana as a crop and now it's quite trendy to have marijuana as a, like a a profession or in the commercial space. But so it's like, I had like tried it all and just like, and, and that, and you know, on that path is just, you know, it leads to a lot of problems, all of the physical, spiritual, emotional issues that, that, um, can create create challenges. So when so literally running saved my life. It saved me from going down a path that you know could have just ended up you know you know it could have been a disaster. And disasters can happen. They can either be like a precipitous moment, like you died in an you know an accident because you were drunk driving, or you you know overdosed on something. That's obviously examples of you know your life ends. But then there's also just like, you know, I've also had a complicated relationship with alcohol and have um, quit over period for big chunks of time over my life. And uh, so that, that, that too, you know, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough. And I think the more that we can all be like forthright about that struggle, um, the better off we are. I think alcohol is a huge problem. Um, you know, it's, it's the drug that is, uh, culturally accepted and normal and causes, you know, untold, um, uh, problems, uh, whether we accept that reality or not. I'm with you. I mean, there's definitely slippery slopes all around us. And when things are normalized, like marijuana is now too, you know, that used to be looked at as the gateway drug to hardcore drugs, you know, and now it's it's something you can choose to do. You can smoke pot or you can have a, a beer and it can take you down a tougher path. It just part of it, I think, depends on how you're wired. You know, some people are great. Yeah. They don't they don't go there. But I went there and it sounds like, you know, maybe yeah. you did, too, to an extent. And um 
I think maybe the more intense and hardcore you are, that intensity can carry over into everything you do, unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> sometimes. <sure. laughs> so we have to yeah. become masters of like reining in our impulses and our tendencies and and yet letting them run free when we feel it's the right thing. So that's why I like that you've really, when you were young, developed this sense of right and wrong and um, had to deal with that early freedom because now you know what it's like to have no boundaries and how to maybe mm -hmm. build the right boundaries. Right. Yeah. No, I, I do think about that a lot. I was like, wow, well at, at age 15, I mean, I moved out of my house. I lived with my boyfriend. I, you know, was just like doing things that like usually you don't do till you're 25. So I had this really intense period from like 15 to 20, 21, where I kind of did a lot of things that people wait until later to do. And, you know, you know, for better, or for worse, I learned that I really just, I did have, I do have like an extreme, um, I don't know if like compulsion is the right word, but I think also to link it to athletics, athletics I think there's a, a lot of athletes um, and runners and you know triathletes that do recognize that they do have these like um, extreme compulsive even addictive tendencies and that that finally they've kind of found a way to like channel that in a way that's at least you know it can have its own destructive forces like you know overtraining or just being or you know whether it's women with um you know eating disorders and stuff like there's a whole bunch of issues there but at a fundamental level you know it, it can be um very much the, the the positive addiction if you will yes absolutely i concur i mean if you're going to choose between cocaine and running you're running please choose <laughs> running <laughs> That's our new public service announcement. Um, yeah, running sponsored cocaine on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> um, so let's fast forward a bit. So let's come to, you know, kind of where you are today. You have this thriving, beautiful, amazing company. Many people can't pronounce it. I, of course, know it. It's called Wazelle. And uh, I love that yes. <laughs> sometimes you have to put like the grammatical spelling in parentheses, right? Oh. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I'm sure you hate doing that, but I noticed that a while ago. Um, and you've got two yeah. daughters who are, what, in high school? Um, you're still married. Uh, you're still running. You're doing it all right now. So I don't know. I think maybe we could kind of start talking a little bit more about Let's let's segue into this beautiful business and then hit on a bunch of angles as we go through. So let's talk about your little founding story. I love origin stories. And I know that yours combined what you call run love with design love and boom, you created something that didn't exist before, right? Right. Well, I think, you know, in my case, I mean, what's cool about your story is that you truly designed something that hadn't been done like ever. And you are the original designer of the running skirt. And I saw that, you know, when it was happening, which was super cool. And, you know, I think um, my, my obsession, I was also obsessed with bottoms, but it was, <laughs> it was uh, just the running, the running <laughs> bottoms. <laughs> I was obsessed with, uh, with running shorts and you know I think what what drove part of what drove both of us is just a you know a factor that's still true today which is that a lot of the sport world 
is driven by running shoe companies and running shoe companies really um, don't don't care a lot about apparel and you know they there's little bits and you know they they try to convince us all that they they do care deeply but at the end of the day apparel is often the afterthought or it's the department that kind of um you know is the adjunct um to the shoe shoe stuff so and and that and that eventually comes through and you notice it and so the thing that i that i observed was here I was like this passionate runner been running for, you know, 10, 10, 12 years. And it was like the love of my life. And then I went to go buy the clothes and I was just like, what is going on here? It's just the, the, you know, the quality and the fit and the, and the weird colors and, and the, just the cheap feel and the, you know, the, you know, the fit. So, so that was really the, 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 the genesis for me was, I was just like, there was this huge disconnect between um, my run love and the, the fit and quality of the product that was available. You know, this is just hitting me now. I don't know why, but so you're right. I created a running skirt, but I was also like you pissed about running shorts because I could not freaking find a pair of running shorts that worked for me because they bunched in the road and you got chafing. And I was a professional triathlete at the time. So like I was really fit and they still didn't fit me. So I just did something totally different and create, I was like, well, screw shorts, ban the shorts, shorts will never work. So I created something new, but here you come and you're like, screw that. Not only, yeah, I can't find what I want. And I think, too, you also had like kind of the new mom bod, which I'm sure was amazing, but bodies are different after you have kids. So that makes trying shit on even worse, right? Um, And But you were like, you know, I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to go somewhere else. I'm just going to correct the problem. I love that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... It was crazy. I recognized that it was crazy at the time. I, I, I had a strength in marketing and, and branding and brand strategy, and then I had a strength in running, obviously, but I, I, don't, I don't know if you felt this way, but my knowledge of the garment manufacturing business um, was, was nil. I like to say my ignorance was complete. Uh, so that was, <laughs> that, was, that was definitely a challenge. It took a long time and lots of baby steps and some mistakes and all of that. I would say the first three year, I think of the first three years of Wazelle's existence as really more along the lines of like the, you know, getting my college degree in apparel manufacturing and, uh, you know, and it showed and made a bunch of, you know, you know, mistakes. Oh, I, I completely agree. In fact, I was going to ask you like what your biggest mistakes were hoping that, it would make me feel better because I made so many and I still make them. Um, and as you yeah. say, like you do, I learned like you as I went, I didn't have any kind of formal education in the world of starting a business or anything involving apparel. All I knew is what I wanted to make, right? So both of us had to learn right. how. Had we connected back then, we yeah. probably could have helped each other more. Yeah. But um, yeah, what totally. you know, sometimes like, If you're, I don't know if you're like me, but I'll have these great ideas. Well, I think they're great ideas and it'll get all the way through sometimes to production. And I'm like, this one is going to win. It's it. It's huge. It's going to change the direction and it completely flops. Right, right, right. I know sometimes our picker is, is broken, but like sometimes I feel like I can see when a garment will be wildly successful. Like I just see it. 
And then sometimes there's things where I want it to be wildly successful and feel like I have a rationale mm-hmm. for why it should be. But then the customer teaches you different, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you get, you get, we get uh, rated very quickly, very clearly um, by, you know, whether or not people are willing to um, buy the product. But I would just say mistakes, you know, just typical for, uh, you know, this category, it's tough. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, I mean, I will, I, I really, you know, being my, you know, liberal Berkeley, uh, self really wanted to make everything domestically in the U S in the beginning. And I pretty quickly discovered that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a complicated topic. And the, the main drivers that, um, caused me to eventually seek manufacturing overseas was just that both the materials and the labor really don't exist here in the U S for technical garments. So, you know, all of the beautiful technical fabrics that we all enjoy as athletes and that have, you know, really special functional abilities, um, just aren't made here in the U S. And so then, you know, the idea that, uh, you might be able to like um, import those fabrics and have have them made here. Also, you run into a wall there because then the skilled labor of um, sewing these garments um, and there's a lot of really detailed technical features that we put into things um, also isn't here in the U.S. So I think just things like that where you just kind of like go into it with an idea of one thing and then you quickly realize that you have a whole different set of conditions that you have to solve for. Well, and that would stop a lot of people in their tracks. So what is it about you that allows you to, I don't know, reassess and continue moving forward? Have you heard, have you read Peter Sagel's new book on running, The Incomplete Book of Running? No, I should. Send it to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll send it to you. Peter's a friend. We've become friends and I, he's, I think he's very funny, but he's also very um experienced in running now and just the book is funny in that it's uh it's it's uh well it's well written but also it just you know talks about some of the the kind of basics of of uh, running and learning to love running and why we run and all of that and one of the you know this is not new to peter but the things that he talked about in the book was the persistence hunting idea so and i think it's talked about in born to run as well but uh so persistence hunting is what humans are good at in the sense that we just sort of like, uh, we tire out the thing that we're hunting. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, you know, we, we're not necessarily faster than the, than the antelope, but the antelope's just going to get tired after a while and we're just still there running. So sometimes I think about that with business that, uh, it's, it does, um, help that, if you're into running, you know about just the persistence, you know, above all, like that famous quote is the thing that will that will um, solve most of the problems that you face. I like that. And I, I definitely think there is a lot of truth in that philosophy. And it also, you know, if you can just keep yourself moving forward, there are things that threaten to stop you, like ego, for instance, right? That, I was driven by ego, I think, a lot early on in the business. I can totally admit that now. I'm not as much anymore. I mean, we all have egos. But I wonder, like, does that, have you ever recognized your ego in the process? Um, Yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely, you know, 
I think a healthy ego can and should be a part of anyone's general, you know, life outlook. But I think business is super humbling. And I think even as I say that persistence hunting is, you know, a, a key driver, I, you know, wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the team of people I have around me and when they came into my life when I needed it and when Moiselle needed it. So, you know, I definitely could have just gone down in flames like probably two or three key times and I think ego ego does feed into this notion of like um, I can and should succeed based on my innate abilities and who I am and you know that confidence um, so I think overall that's a that's a positive I also guess I would caution you know, we've had so many good gender discussions over the last um, couple of years. I apologize for the ringing phone in the background, but um, you know, I want, I want, I want women to like almost embrace their ego in the sense of I think women almost too often like question themselves or doubt their abilities or oh I don't know if you know could that be me or could could I do that and I you know I think I think we want them to like you know say yes like it can be you. And, you know, it's, you know, if you feel like a little bit of ego rising in your abilities, then like, you know, see where that takes you. Mm -hmm. I like that. It's about strength. You know, as long as you don't maybe let it get out of control and recognize it, recognize it for what it is. Um, and it, you know, it, it, you need to have a little bit of ego involved when you take big risks, like you do when you start a business and you put your money in and your family a little bit, you know, is involved in the mix and you get investors money and suddenly there's team of people, like you mentioned, depending on you for their, you know, for their well-being. And, uh, you've got a, you've got to have a pretty high risk tolerance, but a pretty high level of confidence to be able to take that on. Yeah. Yeah. You need it all, right. You need your ego. You need your confidence. You need, I mean, not, not to say that, um, you don't need also need humility. You don't also need, um, you know, a, a, some reality checks or some, a sense of where your abilities end and others begin, because I'm sure like, like me, you've discovered there's plenty of things you're not good at. Uh, and so I think, you know, quickly kind of, you know, you know, learning to ask for advice, learning to ask for coaching, learning to hire people that have those things that you don't. I mean, you just have to have some awareness in that area. And so, so, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I try to try to, you know, keep those things in mind as well. Yep. You know, I think one of the things you've become a little bit known for is creating a little controversy or maybe not creating it, but bringing some controversies to the forefront and being a sort of a smaller voice who speaks out loudly against big voices. Um, do you do you yep. think it's important to ruffle feathers and create waves? Is that like an important part of creating a movement? Mm-hmm. I think that any movement um, that has made any change in the world has had some uncomfortable uh, waves made. And I, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I cannot, I cannot as a white woman align my life and experience at all with that um, 
to people of color, African Americans who have um, existed in this world. But I will say that I was completely blown away by the African American Museum in Washington, D.C. that I visited recently kind of changed my life, actually. But what it what it got me thinking a lot about is the dynamic of change and revolution. And, um, you know, you follow the story of uh, you follow that story, quite frankly, as that museum does and was really interesting to um, read about the different forces of change and you know and i think you see any any fight for equality or freedom or justice in this country and it's happening right now it's being waged you know on the daily and i just from what i've seen i don't believe that status quo or kind of going with the flow or um kind of you know as many women as we're raised to be in this country kind of be nice you know, don't, don't, don't say anything that might be, you know, contradictory or that might, you know, cause trouble. Uh, I just, I just don't think we're going to really get where we need to go with that, with that outlook. And so I will say with regard to the sport, I didn't come into the sport looking to, um, be like, um, a revolutionary on any level. I actually just, we kind of just stumbled into it that at the elite level, um, professional track and field is broken and there are systemic problems uh, that are quite frankly just pretty horrifying Um, whether you're talking about um, clean sport whether you're talking about athletes ability to make a living all of those things and whether it's the right for small companies like Wazelle to have a seat at the table uh, in the sport itself like there's just so much that's wrong that it was almost like well we just can't not address that so so somehow that has been um somehow because we want to have a strong voice in that that has been positioned that we like to cause trouble and you know if that's the takeaway then you know so be it but i think our take is more that um all of those things exist in the world uh, and they should be changed and improved and we'd like to be a part of that I absolutely love that philosophy. And I think sometimes causing trouble is the only way to become noticed. I'm not saying my first grader needs to go cause trouble in her class right now. But like when you are called to really something is like hits you in the heart. I mean, it feels like that's what happened to you. You started working with amazing professional athletes. You know, you've been around the sport your whole life and it really became pretty clear that people were not treated like they should be. And it's like, boom, it hit you in the heart. And you were like, I can't just sit here anymore. That's how I read it, at least. No, absolutely. Absolutely, that happened. And having worked now with Kara Goucher and Lauren Fleshman and Kate Grace when she was running for us and, you know, learning more about what goes on at the elite end of the sport, specifically with um, elite athlete contracts and what those contracts look contracts look like, and what they um, do to athletes, especially around things like the idea of having a baby. Like, what does it mean when you know a world class athlete who has a baby is then um, basically you know dropped from the payroll, um, and it's treated as uh, an injury, and therefore uh, all of a sudden you know you don't get any money, and you don't get you know so it, it just like you know, I think it's both 
um, these injustices had kind of existed already, but also I don't think a women uh, like a a woman's point of view had had come into any kind of any kind of power and able to like talk about those issues. Yep, I agree. You know, I know you have to be at a meeting, and I have a couple more questions. Can we squeeze them in? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so you're also a mom of two real children as well as like a apparel child. Um, how old are your girls? And just give me a quick snippet of like what is being a mom to you? Yeah, so my um, oldest is 19 and she's a sophomore in college and my younger is 16 and she's a sophomore in high school. So they're exactly four years apart in school and they're three and a half uh, years apart in age. And I just freaking love having uh, girls now, a woman, women, young women uh, in the world. Um, you know, in a way, it, it gives me just another channel to um, express <laughs> and hopefully share and even debate sometimes some of these women's issues because I've had some interesting debates with my uh, young women daughters about um, topics like representation and you know I had you know so I I just think that's a whole like um, you know really important like part of my life that I so value I really value getting to have those conversations uh, with daughters and uh, but in terms of being a mom I don't know you know I I certainly have had probably pretty classic like um, conflicts about being a very dedicated um, professional and having children because, you know, I launched Wazelle when my girls were like four and seven. And, you know, I don't know that I would do it that way again. It certainly felt like I, you know, missed some things. And, you know, you get classified at school as one of those pickup drop off moms, which is what I heard I got called one time, which was hurtful to me. Um, you know what I mean? Like you just, uh, and you know, so that's hard, you know, you only have so many hours in the day and you have to make those choices. So, and, and at the end of the day, I think your children really just want a parent. They don't really, you know, they don't really care at the time, whether you're a CEO or a, you know, or, you know, working as a, you know, grocery checker if you're gone away from them you're you're away from them yeah it's a really good way to put it I mean we do what we do for a profession because we love it but at the core and in our hearts are these connections to people and you can't get any closer connection than to your own children so that will always be there and I like how you put it they just want a parent and who cares what those other parents said about you at least you were there for pick up and drop off <laughs> I was, I was, yeah, cool. no, and I, yeah, you try to, you do what you can, like, I also was in the classroom talking about um, art history a couple times, like, trying to tap on what my strengths are um, into the, their lives, but, um, but yeah, but I would, I would be remiss without saying, um, I have been able to do what I've done because my husband is very involved um, as a primary parent, he, so he's a teacher, and um, so I think as a teacher, he's been more kind of um, uh, in tune to the rhythms of uh, school life and what's required there. And then he also has summers off. So he has summers off, which is just a huge, huge benefit to me, a huge benefit to my ability to have um, the ability to, to travel when I need to and more flexibility in my schedule. So, 
you know, I, I, I really don't like positioning myself as like a super mom of any kind because I just am really cognizant of all of the mm-hmm. like benefits I've had in terms of like how my life is formed by my partner. Well, and doing it alone just wouldn't be any fun. So there, I love that. And I appreciate that outlook. Okay. So if we've talked a lot about our three buckets, right? We talked about family and sport and work. So what if one of those buckets was gone tomorrow? What if Wazelle was gone tomorrow? What would Sally Bergeson do? Man, my employee discount would go away. That would suck. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to buy skirt sports. I'll, I'll give you a pro deal. <laughs> I know. Thank you. I might try that. I, uh, I, oh gosh, I, so I've got some thing in me that needs an expression and I think of it as my creativity or a desire to express through creativity. And that's, I use that in Wazelle, I use that in design, designing product and also um, through the brand and through marketing. So I would still need something there. Um, I've always loved photography. I mean, I don't know, I guess I would try to I love business too, though. Business is its own kind of creative expression, even though people might not think so. I think it takes a lot of creativity to to kind of organize, um, you know, um, a group of people and kind of try to point everybody in a certain direction and kind of create inspiration and, and all of that. So I don't know. I think I would need a new third bucket is the answer to that question. Yeah. And I will say, and I mentioned this to you when you sent an email a while back that said, all right, guys, I've got a big announcement tomorrow. We're digging in. Things are, you know, we're, we're recommitting in my head. I was like, Oh my gosh, Sally sold her company and she's trying to rest, rest assured, you know, everyone that, that everything's still going to be great. But what came out the next day was a true recommitment and a rebrand. And it just speaks to the fact that we've been talking about your life over time and that things evolve and brands evolve. And you've been doing such an incredible job of keeping true to who you are yet evolving at the same time. Kudos. Oh, thank you. Well, same to you. I mean, we talked a little bit about this offline, but you know, that's, it's, um, it's on the daily, you have to recommit. So it's, uh, and, and, you know, you have those days where you're just like, uh, this is a grind, you know, I feel I'm just, you know, where's the, where's the light or where's the, the, um, kind of, uh, pivot moment. So yeah, we kind of created our own just, uh, because I do think, you know, both internally and externally, you, you need to have those moments where you signal, um, you know, that, that, that you're, you know, you're still here, you're doing new things. What are those new things? Um, how are you building on it? So, so yeah, kind of a, a platform for, for, you know, recommitting to the things that you're, you're here to do. Well, recommitting, I I would say that's a really good word that we could all probably take away right now because a lot of people are just going about their daily lives and suddenly they wake up one day and they go, why am I still doing this? Like, rethink about why you're doing it and then recommit or change, make some small changes or do the pivot like you talked about, you know, but recommitting right. throughout our lives is so important. And then it makes us feel more powerful and like we have more purpose again. I love that. Yeah. So cool. Right. All right, well, Sally, we're, I, I am going to let you yeah. go to your meeting, but I have my one final question that I uh, ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is that if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice 
uh, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I would, I would say that on whatever level you can do maybe in your life, really looking at a way to create some space for others and connect through community. I mean, it, it's, I mean, we, we live it in sport that sport changes lives. Sport made space for me when I needed it. We talked a little bit about my early story of smoking and drinking. Um, but you know, there's so many other people out in the world that either haven't found that yet or might still be looking. And I think if there's any way to, um, keep your eye out for them and then share some of your privilege or your stability or your community to invite them, invite them into it. I love it. Thanks so much for coming on. You guys, you're going to check out Wazelle. You got to check out the cool things they're doing. Follow their amazing athletes. Sally, love to call you a peer and a friend. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Nicole, for having me and just love what you guys are doing. And let's just like, let's go for that. Let's go for that run. Let's be like the craft brewers. Yes. (laughs) We didn't even tell these guys about the craft brewers, but that's a whole nother story. (laughs) A whole nother story. Creating community is the, the bottom line. Yeah. I love it. All right. I'm back. So, uh, At the end of this interview, Sally mentioned the craft brewers. You were probably like, what? So what you didn't get to hear was our first attempt at an interview, which we did for like 20 minutes, which was really went wrong technically. So we redid it. Um, But in that first little interview, we talked about why we haven't nurtured a relationship with each other when there are so few peers in our worlds. There are not very many women who own women's athletic wear brands. There really aren't. Um, I So I told her about some of my friends who started craft beer brands, specifically Dale from Oscar Blues and my friend uh, Matt from Upslope. So instead of ferociously competing against each other, they would literally organize bike rides from like Boulder to Durango and then hang out and drink each other's beer. So it, yeah, they were competing for market share, but I think they found value in what they had to offer each other and that transcended. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's people have different tastes in beer and not everybody's going to like one brand. And so if they don't like yours, they're going to go to somebody else's anyway. So who cares if you're doing a good job, you're going to be able to build your brand. So we both decided that we want to be like the craft brewers minus the drinking part, which we actually talk about today. Um, And actually what you also don't know is that after we stopped the recording, we continued to talk about other more personal things like our lovely tumultuous relationships with alcohol, um, dealing with petty lawsuits, challenges with manufacturers, and more, more like crazy stuff. And we decided that we really want to do a follow-up interview called The Things We Didn't Say the First Time that might dig a little deeper into, you know, the behind the curtain of what we do. And we will do this interview next spring sometime, so look out for that. But in the meantime, check out Wazelle, O-I-S-E-L-L-E.com. They make running and athletic apparel for women. 
They've built an incredible community. They support women and I support them because in the end, lifting and elevating women will help us all. All right, then, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.